Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. An L.A. County firefighter is dead and another wounded after a fellow firefighter walked into the Awa Dulce Firehouse in northern Los Angeles County and started shooting. It happened just before 11 o'clock yesterday morning. Afterwards, the shooter returned to his home, barricaded himself inside, set it on fire, and then apparently shot himself. Los Angeles County Fire Chief Daryl Osby says the firefighter who was killed was 44 years old, well-respected, and had served for more than 20 years. I, I stand here with a heavy heart, and today is truly a sad day and a tragic day for the Los Angeles County Fire Department. I received the news. It was some of the worst news that I've heard in my career and as a fire chief I've dealt with a lot of death and a lot of fallen members of my department and I've always prayed that we would never have a line of duty death and never thought that if it occurred that it would occur in this fashion. The wounded firefighter is in critical but stable condition at a local hospital. None of the three men have been identified nor has a motive been released. The Santa Clara County Sheriff's Department has released body camera footage from officers who responded to last week's mass shooting in a light rail yard in San Jose, which left 10 people dead, including the gunman. During a news conference yesterday, Sheriff Lori Smith says one of the department's lieutenants had been in Colorado during 1999's Columbine shooting and advocated for tactics where officers no longer waited for SWAT teams to arrive before going into a building. This protocol, I believe, saved lives. There are over 100 people in that area. He had a lot of additional ammunition. The coroner's report released last night showed that the gunman, Samuel Cassidy, died by suicide with multiple gunshot wounds to the head. Investigators say he did not leave a note, and they haven't explained why he targeted certain Valley Transportation Authority co-workers. Turning to Sacramento, Democratic leaders of the state Senate and assemblies say they're in agreement on a state budget proposal. A final deal, though, still needs to be reached with Governor Gavin Newsom. KQED politics reporter Guy Marzarotti has more. The legislature's plan backs ideas from Newsom on how to spend tens of billions of dollars in unexpected revenue. Both sides want to send out direct checks to residents, expand transitional kindergarten, and provide grants to small businesses. Here's Assembly Budget Chair Phil Ting of San Francisco. We are very aligned in all the issues that we are pursuing, and I anticipate we're going to be able to uh, figure out many of the details and come to agreement. 
So what's the difference between what lawmakers and Newsom are pitching? The legislature's plan projects higher tax revenues than the governor's, which they want to spend on college grants, child care, and more. For the California Report, I'm Guy Marzarati. A federal judge has issued a preliminary injunction prohibiting Bank of America from freezing the accounts of Californians who are seeking unemployment benefits. The bank was sued by 15 jobless Californians who are among the thousands who have had their benefit debit cards frozen, even though they had legitimate unemployment claims. The debit cards are issued under a contract with the State Employment Development Department, which earlier this year said at least $11 billion in benefits had been paid on fraudulent claims. The judge also ordered the creation of new customer service phone lines to help people whose accounts were affected by fraud. The state Supreme Court will begin hearings today on an issue which could change the way the death penalty is applied in California. KQED's Alice Wolfley has more. The court will consider whether the way California's death penalty is implemented allows prosecutors to get around requiring jurors to decide unanimously on whether a death sentence is justified. Evidence has shown that these additional unanimity requirements reduce the influence of racial bias in penalty verdicts and ensure that all jurors have equal say in the trial. Currently, the law requires that jurors are unanimous on the final verdict. The ruling, which is due in 90 days, could shape the future of California's death penalty and potentially reverse hundreds of death sentences for people currently on death row. There hasn't been an execution in California since 2006, and Governor Gavin Newsom declared a moratorium on them in 2019. In recent years, voters have rejected two attempts to repeal California's death penalty. For The California Report, I'm Alice Wolfley. A state task force to study reparations for Black Californians held its inaugural meeting yesterday. With more, here's KQED reporter Ezra David Romero. Eight of the nine task force members are black and one is Japanese-American. Their job is to identify and recommend eliminating laws that discriminate against black people. They then ask the state to issue official apologies and find ways to compensate them. Los Angeles trial attorney Lisa Holder is one of the members. I'm so thankful to my ancestors who survived so much trauma so that I could thrive. I stand on the shoulders of my ancestors and I am ready to deliver them justice. California's first black Secretary of State, Shirley Weber, authored the law that created the team last year when she was an assembly member over parts of the San Diego area. We cannot separate the things that people are crying for in the streets in terms of justice from what has happened in the past. You're here today not just to seek an answer to say, was there harm? But your task is to determine the depth of the harm and the ways in which we are to repair that harm. Dr. Cheryl Grill says her goal for being on the task force is to help Californians understand history and educate the public about what's beneath the surface. Why did we have a society where an entire class in that society did the harm? Why did that happen? And why are we struggling with this idea about the rightness of repairing the damage. The task force has the power to hold hearings and request witness testimony to help them develop suggestions for correcting past wrongs. They have until next summer to come up with a public education plan and the task force sunsets July 2023. For the California Report, I'm Ezra David Romero. 
For years, Cal-OSHA, the California agency in charge of protecting workers from health and safety hazards, has been understaffed. But the problem got worse during the pandemic, crippling Cal-OSHA's ability to protect millions of people on the job who faced new risks from COVID-19. Now, as the head of Cal-OSHA and the state's labor secretary are in line for top positions in the Biden administration, the agency's performance is facing new scrutiny. KQD's Farida Javala Romero reports. Last summer, Imelda Arroyo and a co-worker at an Oakland fast food restaurant filed a complaint with Kalosha, saying their boss didn't tell them when colleagues were diagnosed with COVID-19 and didn't require everyone to wear masks. Arroyo says she wanted state inspectors to investigate quickly. She's a mom of three, and she worried about bringing home the virus to her family. But for months, the violations continued, she says. And when the agency finally responded to her nine months later, officials said their inspection had found no problems at the restaurant. Arroyo says they didn't listen to her, and they didn't interview her, and they took too long. A recent report by a state Senate committee says Kalosha enforcement during the pandemic has been, quote, minimal to non-existent because the agency is seriously understaffed. Over the past two years, the vacancy rate for field inspectors at Kalosha doubled, with one in four positions unfilled as of late February. Since then, the agency has hired some inspectors, but more than 50 of those positions remain vacant kind of a very sad situation. It has never been this bad. Garrett Brown worked for more than two decades at Kalosha, most of it as a field inspector. He's been tracking vacancies at the agency for years. And it has just tremendously adverse, harmful impact on the health, safety, and rights of workers in California. A spokeswoman with the Department of Industrial Relations, which oversees Kalosha, says they've been working hard to find qualified candidates. But for most of the last two years, the process slowed because after a scandal involving a former director, they needed pre-approval from the state's Human Resources Department for hiring. Garrett Brown says Kalosha's chief, Doug Parker, and especially the state's labor secretary, Julie Su, could have done more to solve the hiring dysfunction. But the officials could soon be leaving. Parker to head federal OSHA and sued to become deputy secretary at the U.S. Department of Labor. It's very disappointing as well, I can say. Julie Sue had quite a successful record of protecting worker rights, labor rights as labor commissioner. But as labor secretary, she's presided over really the hollowing out of Cal OSHA. A spokesman said Sue declined to comment. But San Jose Assemblyman Ash Calvra, who heads the Assembly's Labor Committee, is less critical of Sue and Parker. I don't think this falls necessarily with one individual, including the department heads. I think that this is something that's been longstanding. He says the pandemic has made hiring tough for all sorts of employers. But he's hopeful that Kalosha can begin to do better. Governor Gavin Newsom has proposed to increase funding to create 70 new positions, including 33 inspectors. That's a great sign. That's what the governor's intention is to add more positions, then I think it brings us some momentum to fill these positions. He says that as Kalosha steps up, it should hire inspectors who speak different languages because many of the state's nearly 6 million frontline workers are immigrants. For the California Report, I'm Farida Javala Romero.
Hi, I'm Sasha Coca, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member. Get special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. The Department of Homeland Security has announced the end of a Trump administration program known as Remain in Mexico. The policy sent back over 68,000 asylum seekers to Mexican border cities where they waited while their cases went through immigration court proceedings in the U.S. From San Diego, KPBS reporter Max Rivlin-Nadler has the story. In a memo, DHS Chief Alejandro Mayorkas wrote that, quote, any benefits of the program are now far outweighed by the challenges, risks, and costs that it presents. Those costs were documented by the group Human Rights First, which collected more than 1,300 reports of violent attacks against people in the program waiting in Mexico. Erica Pinheiro is with El Otro Lado, which assists asylum seekers in Tijuana. It just completely destroyed any illusion of due process in the immigration court system. You can't present a claim for protection when you're still in danger. The Biden administration stopped new admissions into the program in January. A month later, officials began allowing some of the asylum seekers to continue their cases from inside the U.S. For Kelly Overton, who has worked with asylum seekers sent back to Calexico, the end of this policy begins a longer reckoning with its impact. This is a horrific experience for people. You know, they watch their kids not eat. As we get some distance from this, we'll learn more and more about just how damaging it was. By late May, immigration officials had readmitted more than 11,000 asylum seekers in the program into the U.S. For the California Report, I'm Max Nadler in San Diego. And finally this morning, an update to a story we told you about in one of our broadcasts yesterday. In a four-to-one vote, the Sierra County Board of Supervisors has voted to rename Jim Crow Road near the town of Downeyville. The name will be changed to Crow City Road, which was recommended by the county's historical society. The road is said to have been named after a native Hawaiian man who came to the area during the gold rush. But recently, landowners in the area have expressed concerns about the racial implications of the name and brought it to the board last month. At a public hearing yesterday, everyone spoke in favor of changing the name. But some local residents have expressed concerns about so-called cancel culture and the town losing some of its history. And that's the California Report for Wednesday, June 2nd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Medicine, protecting your health and providing dependable care with safe in-person appointments and video visits, stanfordhealthcare.org slash adapting care. Personal Capital, 
helping people take control of their finances with financial tools and objective advice from a fiduciary advisor, personalcapital.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food, on the web at theschmidt.org. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support.